0: If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the podcast from One Cause Church. It's good to be here. Praise the Lord. All right, we're going to get right into the Word today. And uh, I've got just a, I just brought two, actually three things to, to offer you to maybe make more of the time. You know, tonight we can cover one subject. Uh, but through CDs and other things, we can cover multiple subjects. And it's a, it's a great thing that God has blessed us with. Amen. I, did, I just did a series, and I know, I know your pastors teach on this a lot. We come out of the same foundation. But I discovered uh, in our church here in El Paso that a lot of the people that come to church, that are in church, uh, have been a part of church. They don't really understand the power of Of declaring God's word over your life, they they don't really understand it. It seems like sad to say that that in some ways we we've almost skipped a generation, brother John. It's like uh, there's like you know we got it and and my kids got it, but it's like another generation they don't they don't they don't know what it is. And so um, I just did it. I just two weeks ago. I did this teaching. It's called Declaration, Speak What God Has Spoken. And I really break it down and really uh, expand it out and really show you the reason why and the value and the power of what happens. You know, there's an amazing verse of Scripture in the book of Philemon. Uh, It's one chapter, verse 6 says that your faith, your faith, listen, becomes effectual. Now, you know, if, if you're going to walk by faith and live by faith and build your life on faith, don't you want it to be effective? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amen. I mean, what, what good is it to have faith if it's not effective? Oh, think, right? right. right? It said your faith becomes effectual, listen, by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. And the word acknowledge there literally means to say yes to. Well, now, I've just taught you the whole thing. There's no reason for you to buy it. All right, so there we go. All right, so it's just two CDs, but really powerful. All right, so maybe you think about that. All right, it's one of the great, great truths of Christianity, the power of declaring God's Word. And then uh, back at, at Easter time, we, uh, we embraced a whole campaign. I actually have mine on tonight, and it's called The Cross Equals Love. And uh, we put this all over our city and uh, culminating on Easter weekend, we erected 175 six-foot crosses on our property so that when uh, on Thursday night, so when people were driving to work on Good Friday and they looked down, they saw 175 crosses looking at them uh, right. off the freeway. And uh, it went all over town. We had bumper stickers done with everything. But the thing that's lasted is this wristband. And uh, I wear mine every day. I wear it all over the world. I have people stop me. I have flight attendants ask me if they can get them. I have uh, people ask me what it means. And I find people looking at them all the time. And it really is an incredible thought. And here's why. It almost seems too simple. But, you know, a lot of people do not look at the cross for what it is, which is the greatest act of love in the history of the human race. And Sad to say, a very small part, but very vocal part of Christianity has taken the cross out into society as some type of misshapen club and beat people over the head with it, and that was never God's intention, and I wear it every day to speak to others, but to speak to myself, too, and so I brought some with me, all right, maybe you might like to have one yourself, and uh, I, I think they're only, I don't know what they are, they're pre- I'm not going to say how much they are, they're pretty cheap, all right, so check it out, and then tonight, Uh, I'm going to be teaching you uh, a part of this series, and this is a big series, all right? And uh, it's called Alpha and Omega, and uh, it will make sense to you tonight, all right? And tonight, I'm going to kind of skip across it. Uh, Let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, yeah, five separate teachings, so it is a big series, all right? All right. And I'll kind of skip across it tonight. I'll give you a working knowledge, but I hope that you'll think about buying this and get this entire revelation. This has become one of the greatest revelations of my life. And it has answered so many questions for me and for other people, uh, positive and negative. It's answered a lot of questions, and it really is. And for you young people in here tonight, this may be one of the most important things you'll ever hear. Uh, I wish somebody had taught me this when I was in my 20s and 30s because it would have changed a lot of the things I did. Does that make sense to you tonight? Are you ready to rock and roll tonight? Thank you, Pastor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you for every person that's here. I thank you for my friends, the, the the angels of this house. I thank you for them allowing me to come and being here tonight. And I ask you in the next few moments to help me to take these great truths that have meant so much to me and explain them to your children in such a way that there is only understanding and no misunderstanding. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you. Uh, I believe when I was here last year, I spoke to you about uh, some revelations that had come into my life. I think I talked to you about when life doesn't play along. Isn't that what I went over like that? I talked to you about what I had done since my wife or she had passed away. And I shared with you that there were some basic revelations that, I, that God had brought into my life. And one of the truths about life is, is that, you know, when you have to walk somewhere you've never walked, then you have to learn something you've never learned. And so I was forced, as many of you are, to walk in places that I had never planned on walking. And to walk in that place, then you've got to learn something you've never learned. And so I shared with you some of those revelations. Well, there was one more that God brought into my life that I want to share with you, Uh, part of it, some of it, most, a good portion of it tonight that I want to share with you, all right? So if you have your Bible with you, open it with me tonight to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. It's a pretty easy book to find, huh? Book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 1. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of history. How I ended up in this, all right? Uh, as I was trans, as I was moving in my life over the last year and a half, and uh, stepping into new worlds and understanding and living and and thinking and planning and all that good stuff, uh, there was a process, you know. Uh, Life is a process amen it's a process amen. and God's kingdom is built on processes yeah. right things amen. that you process through and you you work your way through in life and things you learn and you apply amen? Amen. amen all right and so you know I was I was kind of walking through this and and in that looking back on it now I can see how these things connected of course when you're in it you don't necessarily see them connecting but in this, in this transitioning of my life and this growing in my life, I, the Lord took me and had me do a teaching uh, that I had never done ever in my church, and that is, He had me do the book of Revelation. And, and, but I taught it not from the standpoint of end times. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, 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 I don't. I I, I I don't get in time. So all right, I don't try honestly, I've given up. Um, you know, I listen to the guys that are supposed to be the experts and they all contradict each other and and so I don't I, you know, it's like, is it just me? But you know, every time I hear about a book where somebody went to heaven, all of them show a tell a different version of heaven. I'm like. Are we ever going to agree? Are you all going to the same place? Because I would sure like to see at least some agreement here about what, anyway. So, and I'm not saying they didn't go. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I just find it interesting. But I find it very interesting about the book of Revelation. But what is sad to me is that the book of Revelation is not a book about end times. It has end times information in it. But Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 says that the book of Revelation, listen, is a revelation of Jesus Christ. No other book in the Bible reveals to you the person, the nature, the character of Jesus more and better than the book of Revelation. And the way that you come to know him is by the different names that he is called in the book of Revelation. Over 20 different names that he is referred to in the book of Revelation, all right? So he had me go through and explain that and teach that to my church, and it was a great teaching, and people loved it. And then several months later, he brought me back to it. And he brought me back to chapter 1, verse 8, where the Lord gives us his first name. He calls himself his first name. Look at it. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. Now, in another place, in chapter 21, I believe it's verse 6, yes, he says that he is Alpha and Omega beginning and ending first and last. All right? Now, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. Amen. Okay, we're going to launch out. Okay? So now he says here that, that Jesus said, I am... Alpha and Omega. Now, what you learn there is, is that his name is Alpha and Omega. Beginning and ending, first and last define what Alpha and Omega mean, okay? So he said, I am Alpha and Omega, all right? Beginning, beginning and ending, first and last. Now, for years, I've known this verse a lot of people know this verse before you even know where it is in the Bible, right? You've heard of it. It's one of those Bible statements that kind of permeates through society, right? That Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Alpha and Omega. You know, you see it on cards, you see it on plaques. Right, I have a plaque in my closet that somebody gave me when I taught this that says Alpha and Omega on it. Okay? And it's just one of those things that you know. But for years, whenever I looked at this statement and whenever I thought of Jesus as Alpha and Omega, I thought of him this way. I thought of him as Alpha, right? That you meet him, he is your beginning, he gives you your life with God. And then years later, you will meet him as Omega. But that's not what he said. See, he didn't say, I am Alpha and someday I will be Omega. Now watch, listen carefully to me. All right, pay close attention, okay? So he said, I am, present verb tense. I am Alpha and omega. So what I began to see is, is that Jesus is not alpha and then sometime he will be omega. He is not beginning and then ending. He's not first, then last. He is both simultaneously at the same instant in the same moment. He is both at the same time. He is beginning and ending, alpha and omega, first and last, simultaneously. He is both in the same instant. He is both at the same time. He's not one and then becomes the other. No, he is both at the same time. He is both things simultaneously. He is alpha and omega, first and last, beginning and ending simultaneously. And I began to look at that, and I began to think about that. And as I began to look at that, let me just read my notes to you that I wrote down as I began to think about it in my life. So in fact, then he is saying that he is in my beginnings and in my endings at the same time in every moment. We know from life experience that when one thing begins, it is because something else is ending tonight at midnight, Monday will begin, but it begins because Sunday is ending. And as soon as Monday begins, Tuesday is lined up. Amen. It's already lined up. Right? In a few months, 2014 will come to an end, and 2015 will start, and as soon as 2015 starts, 2016 is in line. Amen. Right? Amen. So we see here that he is first and last, alpha and omega simultaneously. All right, so he is in my beginnings and in my endings at the same time. When one thing ends, when one thought ends, it's because another thought has begun. When one thought begins, it's because another thought has ended. All right? So when one thing begins, something else is is ending. One thing ends, so something else is beginning. Now, I'm going to, it's going to sound like I'm going to unhook the train, but I'm really not, because you need to see this now, right? So turn in your Bible with me now to Isaiah chapter 14. Are you glad you came? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're glad already, you're going to be really glad in about 45 minutes. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 14, all right? Now, I love verses like this, because it's, I love it, when, it when, when it's like God peels back knowledge that he has of these monumental moments and he gives us these glimpses into things and we kind of peer into them for a moment and then the curtain closes again. All right. And this to me is one of those verses because God shows us something of an event that we really know very little about, but he gives us a glimpse into it. And in this glimpse, He gives us some vital information. Now watch, Isaiah 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? So now he's going to give us a glimpse of Satan's fall. I've always been very curious about that. How about you? I mean, what, what went on there? What, what happened? Why, how could that take place? What, 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 what was it like? Well, there's not very much in the scripture. He goes on. How you are fallen down to the ground which did weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, watch, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit, watch this, upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. So now we see that, that, you know, for years I looked at that and I thought, well, what is all that? I guess there's this thing in heaven, this north side, south side, east side, west side. Well, I don't know. He liked the north side for some reason. I mean, I was like... What's all this about, right? And he he talked about that, and he talked about that that Satan wanted to sit there. Now, those of us that have any knowledge of Satan and his nature, we know that in the book of Revelation, he's called a usurper. A usurper is someone that wants to sit where someone else sits. They want to be in somebody else's place. They want to take the position that belongs to somebody else. And he is called a usurper. And we see clearly in this verse, that's going to expand up to you more, that Satan has always wanted to sit where Jesus sits. All right, he's wanted to sit where Jesus sits. And just because he got kicked out of heaven doesn't mean that he's still not trying to do that in your life and in my life. That he's not trying to sit where Jesus is supposed to sit. Now, turn with me to Psalm 48. Now, watch this. Psalm 48. You know, one verse doesn't contain all the information you need on a subject, right? you got to have other verses, Right, And you tie those verses together, and then you get the information you need. So we're going to tie something here. Look at verse 1. Great is the Lord. The word Lord there is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the same name for Jesus, right? Redeemer, Deliverer, Savior, right? So great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain, mountain, Of his holiness, watch, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. North. Now, we know from the book of Hebrews that Hebrews tells us that in the Old Testament, the church was referred to as Mount Zion. So here we see now that Mount Zion is that place that is called the sides of the north. So what did Satan want? Satan wanted to sit as the head of the church. He wanted to be the head of the church. He wanted to sit in Jesus' throne. He wanted to run the church. But not only does he want to do that, he also wants to sit in your beginnings and in your endings. And what I had to be careful of, what I began to see was, is that because of what had happened, you know, in my life with Rochelle, I had to be very careful because Satan was going to come and try to sit in my Omega. Uh, You see? He wanted to come and sit in my endings. And if you let Satan come and sit in your endings, then all you'll have in your future is fear and loneliness and sadness and resentment and bitterness. So I had to be careful that I did not let him come and sit in my omega. All right? But then the the thought began to expand. Listen, he wants to be just as active in your alphas and your beginnings also. So tonight, now, over the next few moments, I'm going to do my best to show you that how you respond to your omegas, to your alphas, will determine your omegas. All right? Are you ready? Let's begin to build this. Okay? I'm going to quote a lot of verses to you. You can go home and look them up. Okay? If we take time, we will be here till 930 or 10. Okay? So, as I began to look at this. Now, this, this if you, I know, Brother John, your, your pastor can explain this to you, and they probably have. But let me just remind you tonight, the way you build truth is by following words and how they appear, and you follow them through Scripture, right? And you begin to build that, and you you start here, and you follow the threads. Make sense to you, right? You follow the threads, right? Like there's a consistent thread that begins in Genesis, the third chapter, right? Right? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fall, and God begins a consistent thread. And that thread, called the thread of redemption, runs through every book of the Bible until the last amen of the book of Revelation. Okay? It is a thread that runs. But you don't get all of it when God promises the Messiah. You get it all by following the thought all the way through the writings of Paul, the great revelation that Paul had in Romans, and all that good stuff about redemption. Right? Then you begin to understand it. Okay? Okay? So I began to think about this, right? So Jesus is Alpha and Omega simultaneously. He is beginning and ending simultaneously. In the same instant, he is both. Now That's, to be honest with you, there's thoughts there that are way above my pay scale. <laughs> How many of you are used to that with things of God, right? I mean, some, some of the things he says about himself, you just go, yeah, <laughs> okay, amen, all right? Now, as I began to think about this, right, I began to realize that God was speaking to me and showing me something bigger that was important that I saw that, that I had to keep Satan out of my omega, right? I had to keep him out of my ending. Make sense? I had to keep him out of it, right? He was going to come and try to sit in my endings. And if I let him sit in my ending, that all I would end up with, right, was fear and bitterness and resentment and loneliness and all that kind of stuff, all right? So I had to keep him out. I had to let Jesus sit in my omega, okay? But then I began to think about it, right? And there's a famous verse of Scripture. I know your pastors have taught it to you. It's a famous verse of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. I'll quote it to you. Listen, God speaking of himself, listen to this. He said, I am the Lord. I am the Redeemer. I am Yahweh. I am Jesus. Listen, declaring the end from the beginning. Declaring the end from the beginning. Now, the first thought that pops in my mind is how can he do that? Why? Because he is beginning and ending simultaneously. He is both at the same instant, right? So, when God, listen to me now, when Jesus begins something. He begins it because He knows the end that He wants. He doesn't begin something like we do and say, well, we're not sure how this will end up, but let's go out and try it. No, He begins it because He knows where it's going to end. He is both at the same time. Are you with me so far? Right? So, He is both. So he declares the end from the beginning, but listen to verse 10. So that my counsel shall stand. In the Hebrew text, the word counsel should have been better translated purpose. So that my purpose shall stand. The dictionary defines purpose as God's design, God's plan, God's will. So God's design, God's plan, God's will. Listen to it again. So God declares the end from the beginning so that his plan shall stand or come to pass. And then, interesting, the Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 28, says that we are called according to God's purpose. The purpose that he declares from the beginning, he declares the end of that purpose from the beginning. How can he do that? Because he is south and omega, beginning and ending at the same moment. He is both things at the same time. Now let's build. Are you ready? Yeah. One of the most famous, favorite verses of my life and Rochelle's life, and we stood on this and we have believed this and we have practiced this verse and we have believed in this verse all of our lives together, all of our Christian life together, is Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 that says, listen, despise not the day of small Beginnings. Despise not the day. Despise not. The word despise means uh, do not hold in contempt or disrespect. Your day of small beginnings. Now, if you don't get anything else out of what I'm teaching you tonight, please get this, right? And you and you got to understand this, right? you got to understand this. I can't tell you why he's this way. I just know he's this way. But for some reason... God is in love with small beginnings. I don't get it. It's not how I would run the kingdom if he put me in charge. All right? But he is in love with small beginnings. Let me just give you a couple verses, right? Mark the fourth chapter, Jesus said, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man, so that's the kingdom we live in, right? As if a man should cast A grain of mustard seed into the soil. And when it is sown, Jesus said, it is the smallest of all the seeds that are sown. So he starts with this little bit. Have you ever seen mustard seeds? I guarantee you you could hold two or three hundred of them in the palm of your hand. And yet, when they grow up, they're huge, huge trees. And he goes on to say, and when it grows up, many birds shall come and lodge in the shadow of it, in the, in, the, in, the, in the branches of it. So it begins with this little bitty seed, right? And then he said, speaking of himself, listen to this. He said, I am like one grain of wheat. Me. He said, I am like one, one, one grain of wheat. Boy, talk about a small beginning to the kingdom of God. If you and I had been alive on the shores of Galilee 2,000 years ago and we had seen Jesus and his group, none of us would have ever fathomed that that would have turned into the church that is alive in the earth today. You would have never fathomed in your mind that that one man who was extraordinary and that ragtag bunch of, come on now, you could have picked better guys than that, amen? But for some reason, he picked those 12 and one of them turned out to be a flake, right? You would have never imagine that the church would be what it is today. You would have never imagined it, that out of one man and 12 ragtag guys and another 70 guys that kind of hung around on the fringe, that out of that, that here we are 2,000 years later and not millions, but billions of people would now be in the kingdom of God. You would have never imagined it. You would have never fathomed them. And, And listen, listen, if I was running the whole thing, I would have done it different. I would have waited till the human race invented television and satellite technology. Then I would have sent Jesus, and I would have had him just bust out worldwide on television and say, okay, this is it. Game's up. It's over. I am the one, the only one. Everybody receive me, and that's it. We're wrapping this deal up. You ready to pray? But for some reason, that's not how he likes to operate. And let me remind you again tonight, it's His kingdom. It's His kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's not your kingdom. It's His kingdom. It's going to operate the way He wants it to operate. So back to the point. He said, despise not the day of small beginnings. Now, what have we learned so far? That Jesus is in your beginnings, listen, and already knows where this beginning is supposed to end. But if I misread it, my beginning, if I reject it, if I disrespect it, I may never get to the ending that he purposed. Amen. All right, now watch. This may be the most important thing I've said to you so far. Because he is Alpha and Omega at the same time, he knows what beginning you need to get you to the end he has planned. Amen. Did you hear that? Right? So, because he is both at the same time, he knows the beginning you need that will get you to the ending he has planned. Yeah, really Amen? Yeah. Amen? So, if I'm going to get to the ending he has planned, I got to make sure I don't res- disrespect my beginning. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Amen? Amen? Because Amen. Amen? if you disrespect your beginning, all right? Now, what really brought this home to me, are you still learning something? What really brought this home to me was while I was looking at this, the Lord put it in my heart to do a teaching I'd never done before. In the 30 plus, 37 years I pastored a church in El Paso, a detailed teaching on the life of King David. Now, like all Bible teachers, I talked about David. I would looked at David. You know, I'd used David as an illustration of, of the good, the bad, and the ugly of humans, all right? And, uh, and you know, uh, yeah, okay. So anyway, uh, I, 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 and so I began to look at this. Well, if you're going to do teaching on the life of King David, at some point, there's two things you're going to study. One, you're going to study him with Bathsheba. Two, you're going to study him and Goliath. All right? I can't say I got a lot out of the Bathsheba's teaching. New, no, I'd already knew pretty much all of that just don't no matter how much you want to just don't don't tell me you can't help yourself keep your pants on you're going to be better off amen all right don't be looking where you're not supposed to be looking and don't be touching what you're not supposed to be touching amen pretty simple not don't have to be a rocket scientist Pretty easy to figure out. Don't even need the Bible to teach me that. All I got to do is just look around at the idiots around me who have screwed up their lives. Amen? Pretty simple. Never had a hard time figuring that out, okay? Amen. Oh, don't look at me like you're Snow White, okay? But I got into this thing on David and Goliath. And, and as I got to studying it, Pastor, I, I looked at it and, and, the, and the Saturday I sat down to study it. I've been thinking about it for quite a while. And the Saturday I sat down to do my notes, um, the Lord spoke to me in my heart. and He said, I want you to read this like you've never read it. So don't, don't come looking at this story about Dave and Goliath with any preconceived ideas. Read it like you've never read it read it. And so to the best of my ability, I did that. And as I sat down and I began to read it, I, there were things that began to pop out at me. Are you ready? That, that I found very intriguing. Uh, I'm just going to give them to you in no, in no particular order, just as they kind of pop in my mind, okay? The first thing I discovered was, I, I noticed, I thought was very strange, Brother John, was that when Samuel came to Jesse's house, you know, he was a prophet under the old covenant. And when prophets under the old covenant told you to do something, you did it. You didn't kind of do it. You didn't, it's not like New Testament Christianity. You know, a pastor said I should do this, but ah, I'm not so sure I'm going to do that. Well, I'm not so sure I'm going to do it that way. Ah, no, I know the Bible says that, but I think I'm going to do it this way. No. Under the law, Bubba, if the prophet said, <laughs> If the prophet said, bring me all your sons, you brought him all your sons. Because the history was, remember when Elijah was coming into town and the little kids made fun of the way he dressed and a bear came out of the woods and killed them and ate them? You did what the (laughs) prophets said to do. Do we all agree on that? Right? So Samuel, who the Bible says God never let one of his words fall to the ground right? Samuel shows up at Jesse's house. Everybody knows who Samuel is. He walks up to Jesse's house and he says, I want all of your sons brought before me now because the next king of Israel is in your house. And what does Jesse do? He brings all of them except David. He intentionally left David out in the field incurring, possibly incurring, Samuel's wrath. Wow. So I thought, wow, well, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I'd never seen that before. And then I, 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 there was a little phrase there back in that story that I found very intriguing. And the phrase was that David had red hair. And I looked at that and I thought, who cares? <laughs> what a random fact to be given, right? You're, you're telling this whole story about him being anointed and, and the oil and him becoming the next king and all of this stuff happening. And in the middle of that, we're told, oh, by the way, Thought you'd like to know David has red hair. We don't know what color Abraham's hair was. We don't care what color Sarah's hair was. We don't, have, we don't know what color uh, Jesus' hair was. We don't care what Paul's hair was. We don't know anybody else's hair color in the Bible except David. <laughs> Who cares? Obviously, it's important. That's right, yeah. uh-huh. Amen. Obviously, it's important. So I began to look at that, and I began to wonder, and I, I began to see, you know that even... After David was anointed king, Jesse put him back in the field. And I began to study that. And I discovered that back in ancient times, sons did not take care of sheep. Servants and slaves took care of sheep. Sons did not take care of sheep. Do you know why? Because taking care of sheep was hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks of mind-numbing Boredom interrupted by moments of absolute life-threatening panic when a lion or bear came to kill the sheep. And that's why they put servants into the fields instead of sons because if a lion or bear came to take one of the sheep, better to lose a servant than lose a son. But David was treated like a servant. Even after he was anointed king, he put him back into the field. And I began to look at that. And I began to study it. Then I found a phrase in the book of Psalms where David, many years later, he's king. And David says, I was conceived in iniquity. And I looked at that and I thought, well, you know, as far as I can tell in the Bible, normal sexual relations between a husband and a wife is never called iniquity. Why does David say that his conception was he was conceived in iniquity? I submit to you, just for your consideration, that the reason why David was left in the field and not called in the room, why we are told his hair color, which is obviously different than everybody else in his family's, and why he said he was conceived in iniquity is because from the time of his birth, there was some question in Jesse's mind as to the legitimacy of David's birth. And that's why he was not treated as a son. And that's why in 1 Samuel 17, when he shows up at the battle in the Valley of Elah, the battle between Israel and the Philistines, his brothers do not look at him. Go home and read it tonight. His brothers do not look at him and say, how's dad? How's the farm? How's that? Nothing. They look at him and they say to him, what are you doing here? We know the iniquity of your life. Throughout his life, you see this un. Believable resentment and, and antagonism from Jesse and his sons towards David. Isn't that interesting? So David gets put into the sheepfold and I began to study and I began to look at it and I discovered that years later when David is king of all of the united Israel and he decides in his heart one night to build God a house. Remember that story? And he says, I'm going to build God a house and God reveals a great truth to us and that is when you build God a house, then God will build your house. Amen. One of the great promises of the Bible Amen. One of the great promises of the Bible, right? And so so he says, I'm going to build a house. And God's response to David that night when he said, I'm going to build God a house was, God said, of all the things he could say to David, I found this very interesting. He said, I was with you in the sheepfold. Now that was not a real pleasant time in David's life. But God said, I was with you in the sheepfold. Now, watch this because you're going to get really good. What, are, are you glad you came so far, right? So yeah. what, what became very interesting to me is that David walks into the valley of Elah. And you know the story, right? Three times a day, Goliath, this anywhere from 12 to 14 tall guy, foot, foot, foot tall guy, weighed anywhere between four and 600 pounds. Okay, Shaquille O'Neal was 7'2", 350. This guy made Shaquille look undernourished, okay? He was gigantic. Okay, 10 to 12 feet tall. Okay, in case you're wondering right that, the, 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 the bottom of a basketball rim is 10 feet tall. His head would have been above the rim. Okay, 4 to 600 pounds. He threw a spear through a spear that weighed 200 pounds. Threw it, could throw it. This is a bad boy. Okay he had been by Saul's by King Saul's admission he had been a professional merc- mercenary longer than David had been alive And David walks into that valley and sees him and hears of the reward that will be given to the man that will kill him number 1 his family will go free from taxes David says wow this is a great way for me to get finally get into the good graces of my dad number 2 you get the king's beautiful daughter good way for me <laughs> who never had a chance because my brothers are going to beat me to everybody. Okay? So he says, now listen, this is what's intriguing. He looks at Goliath and he says, I will kill him, listen, just like I killed the lion and the bear. See, I think for the first time in David's life, now watch, it's going to get really good now, I believe David began to connect the dots. And David realized that all of those hours that he spent in the field learning how to be a slinger, not swinger, slinger, right? (laughs) And that is an actual Bible term. In the book of Judges there is a part of a tribe that is referred to as slingers. And they said that they could sling their rocks within a hair's breadth. I did some research on this. I became very intrigued by this and I discovered that in ancient times, there are paintings in medieval times of slingers knocking birds out of the air mid-flight. They were that accurate. They could launch their rock and if from anywhere to 100 to 200 yards away, they could hit within a hair's breadth. The fact of the matter is is that if a slinger aimed at you, you did not know it, but you were a dead man walking. You were dead. A rock comes out. When they twirl that rock, it it does six to seven revolutions per second. And when that rock comes out of that sling, it hits its target with the same velocity as a bullet out of a medium-sized handgun. The reality is you could not dodge it. You could not get away from it. You were a dead man. David walks up and says, whoa, I can't fight him hand to hand. He's too big. He's too bad. But I'm going to kill him. Just like I killed the lion and the bear. See, a man can't fight a lion hand to hand. He can't fight a bear hand to hand. He's got to stand back and hit it with a rock that hits that lion with the same speed as a medium-sized handgun. Yes. Amen. So here's what I submit to you. David didn't know it, but he's sitting out there in that field and God gives him an idea. And the idea is, hey, David, you got nothing else to do. I want you to get really good at slinging rocks. So he did it. And he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced. You see, Saul said to David, you cannot kill him because he has too much experience, he's too big. David said, yes, there's power in size and experience, but there's also power in preparation. He was ready. He was ready. And he walked and he picked up those rocks and he stood down there and he stood on the outside and Goliath said, what a dummy. Goliath said, come to me. Like David would go, yeah, okay. Let me walk over and let you beat my brains out, right? (laughs) David said, no, I'm going to kill you. All right? But listen, 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 listen. I promise you. That David, when he first learned how to throw the rock, did not know that one day that skill, that preparation, was going to make him the most famous king that ever lived. There is no king that has ever lived that is more famous than David. We still name our children after him. Thousands of years later, he is the most famous king that has ever lived. No one equals him. All right? But here's the thing that you got to know. This is not the way, see, see, it's easy. Oh, it would have been easy to have done that and learned that and practiced that if God had come to David and said, okay, look, David, here, here's the inside story. I know your parents, I know your father put you out here in the field. I know, I know, I know you're not supposed to be out here. You're a son. I know he's not sure you're a son, but you're a son, and you're supposed to be out here, and this is where you're supposed to be, and 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 and, and you're not supposed to be here. What do you think would have happened if when, the lion had been, when God gave David the idea to learn how to throw the rock, to defend the flock, if David's response had been, I'm not going to learn how to do that. Why do I care about that? I'm not even supposed to be out here. Let him take the stupid sheep. What do I care about the stupid sheep? Maybe my dad will get so mad at me, he'll take me back into the house where I belong. They'll put a servant out here, put a slave out here. I'm not even supposed to be out here. I'm a son. Yeah. That's wow. You know what I submit to you? There would be no story of David and Goliath in the Bible because David would have never been ready and God would have never taken him to the valley and he would have lived and died like millions of other people and none of us would have ever known he was alive. Amen. Would have never known one thing about him, but instead he learned how to do it. And it would have been fantastic if God would have said to him, okay, David, here's the deal. Okay, I know you don't want to be here, but I put you here. It's going to make sense to you. I'm going to explain to you how it is. Right now, I need you to learn how to throw that rock. I need you to practice hours and hours and hours. I need you to become accurate. And when you get really good, I'm going to bring a lion, and you're going to kill the lion. Then I'm going to bring a bear, and you're going to kill the bear. And then several years later, I'm going to take you to the Valley of Elah, and Goliath's going to be there. Yeah, that Goliath, the one you've heard about all your life. He's going to be there, and you're going to pick up a rock, and you're going to take this skill that I gave you, and you're going to kill him. And when you kill him, you're going to become the most famous king that ever lived. Got a deal, David? Oh, if David would have been gathering rocks, he'd have had mountains of rocks all around him, right? I mean, come on. I mean, who wouldn't do that? He, he, he would have mountains of rocks all around him. He, he would have piled them up. He would have been throwing rocks all day long. Yeah. Uh-huh. Amen. But see, here's the deal, my family. That's not how God operates. He just gives you your small beginning. And you can't despise it. Now, not everything that begins in your life is a Jesus Alpha. And not everything that ends in your life is a Jesus Omega. But a lot of times in life, you can't tell. So you've got to be careful with all of them. You can't despise those Days of small beginnings. Am I making sense to you tonight? Now, i got to bring this home, all right? I've got all kinds of detail I could go in, but let's just bring it home. Are you ready for the hot fudge on the ice cream? Go with me to Matthew chapter 25. Let's just jump into it. Come on now. Enough of this chips and salsa. Let's get to the ribeye. Have you got Matthew 25? Watch. Verse 14. Jesus speaking, for the kingdom of heaven is as. So this is how the kingdom operates. And I remind you, it is a kingdom. The the Bible dictionary defines the word kingdom as a royal domain. The kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. God is not operated by public opinion polls. He doesn't care what I think or what you think. I've got a better, I already told you my plan. I already told you how I would have brought Jesus. He didn't ask me. All right? So is the kingdom of heaven. Is a man traveling into a far country who called, we're called. Are we not called? We are called how? According to his purpose. Who called his own servants. Are we, does he own us? Have we been bought with a price? Come on, talk to me. Have we been bought with a price? Amen. So we are his servants, right? He called his own servants and delivered unto them, delivered unto them his goods. So he delivers unto him, unto them his goods. Do you admit tonight, as we wrap up, do you admit tonight that every good thing in your life comes from him? Every skill, every ability, right? It all comes from him, amen? Amen. Every good thing, every good thing. Okay, so he delivered unto him his goods. Write this down if you're taking notes. The word delivered there means he put into their power. So he took his goods and he put them into their power power now watch a lot of you know this story right you know you know what's going to happen right there's three guys one gets five one gets two one gets one two of them turn out well the other one we don't even like to read about him (laughs) all right I I don't even read about him because to be honest with you I'm not him I'm 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 going to copy the other two Amen. Amen? So he said he delivered unto them. Now, have you ever wondered why they went, the two went out and did what they did and why the one was supposed to have done the same thing? Right? Remember the story? The one that had five did what? went and made out five more. The one that had two went and did what? Made two more. The one that had one was supposed to do what? Go out and make one more. But he didn't. Okay? But the one that had five, and why, why did they do that way? And why did the one that had one went and buried it? Why did he get judged so harshly? Why? Because they were told exactly what to do. They did what they did because they were instructed to do that. They didn't just sit down and say, well, I got five talents. I don't know. What are you going to do with it? I don't know. I'm going to go out and grow mine. Oh, okay. I'll do what you did. And the other one goes, nah, I'm scared. I'm going to hide it. No, no. They were told what to do. I'll prove it to you. Watch. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, to every man according to his several talents. Ability. The word several there means he gave it into... Okay, the word delivered means he put it into their power, and the word several means, and he told them to produce. Take it and produce. Take it and produce. Take it and make it grow. Make it bear fruit. That's what they were told to do, and that's why they went out and did it. And that's why the one... Messed up so bad because he didn't follow his master's instructions. Okay, he was ruled by fear instead of by obedience. Okay, so let's continue on. Are we learning anything? So he put it into their hands, told them to produce, right? And the word ability there means according to their achieving power. So he already knew what they were capable of doing. How could he know that? How could the master know what they were capable of producing? Well, on a big scale, we know this because God declares the end from the beginning. Right? In Jeremiah, in the Message Bible, Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, listen to this. Talk about alpha and omega at the extreme ends. Listen to this. Before I shaped you in the womb. Boy, that would be Alpha. I knew all about you. <laughs> before you saw the light of day, I had holy purposes for you. So before Alpha, I had Omega. Oh my goodness. All right? Wow, incredible. Huh? Listen to this verse, Job eight seven in the Message Bible. Even though you're not much right now, you'll end up better than ever. King James text. I love it. Says though your beginning was small, your latter in Alpha Omega, your latter in shall be greatly increased. Okay. Now watch. Let's go back to Matthew twenty five. Right? Actually, you never left. I did. Okay. So. We're going to jump ahead, right? The one that had five did what? He went out and made five more. The one that had two went out and did what? Made two more. The one that had one did what? He went and hit it. Fear ruled him. He messed up. Okay, now watch what happens, okay? Verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. He that received the five came and, said, said, and brought the other five and said, Lord, you put into my hands and told me to produce five talents. Behold, I've gained five more. His Lord said unto him, well done. "...thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He that received the two talents came and said, Lord, you gave me two, I made two. Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou in the joy of the Lord." Isn't it interesting that the one that had five and made five and the one that had two and made two got exactly the same reward? Okay, little sidebar teaching. Can I keep you about 15 more minutes? Are we cool with that? 15 at the most. Can you handle about 15 more minutes? All right. Little sidebar teaching here, right? You know what this verse, you know what that teaches me right there? Charles... You don't need to be concerned about what God gives other people to do. You need to just take care of what God gives you to do. You don't need to worry about what other people are doing. I tell you, that bugged me for a long time. It bugged me for a long time. I mean, it did. I, I, I used to have, I used to have a, a... There was a thing between me and the Lord over this because I would I would like... I'm just going to be honest with you. He knows it, and we've had long conversations. So I might as well tell you the whole truth even though it doesn't look good on me, Right? I mean, I got over it, but for a long time, I had a problem. One of the problems I used to have was, and I would say to him, you know, Lord, I don't understand why, why you gave Dr. Cho the biggest church in the world. (laughs) I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. First of all, none of us can understand him. You should have picked an English-speaking guy. And yes, he speaks English, but his accent is so strong, you can hardly understand him. You can be sitting here talking to him, and you can hardly understand him. Plus, if we want to go learn from him, we've got to fly clear around the world, all the way to Korea, third-world country. (laughs) No, no, Lord, no, Lord, Lord. You should have put it in the United States, and you should have put it in El Paso. (laughs) I'm just saying. And it used to bug me. Well, there were other things that went along with that that bugged me too. All right? And then one day, I finally just had to settle in. What I settled on was, you know what? You don't need to worry if you're a five-talent guy or a two-talent guy or a one-talent guy. Just be glad you got a talent. Just be glad God put something in your hand and make it grow. Don't worry about everybody else. Make it grow. Make it produce, because you don't want to be the guy that got the one. You know, the guy that got the five could have done the same thing, but he didn't. Okay, let's continue on, all right? Back to the point. Did you notice that both the guys got the same reward? Jesus didn't look at the one that had two and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why didn't you make five? This guy over here made five. Now, I gave you two, but, you know, why didn't you make five? He made five. No, he looked at him and said, you get the same reward. Now, I believe that in this story, almost done, there is an alpha and omega here, and you can see it. It takes it to a whole new level of understanding, right? The alpha was he delivered into the hands. The omega was they entered into the joy of the Lord. See, I believe that was the Lord's goal all along. The Lord's goal was not that they had five and made five, had two and made two, had one, made one. The Lord's goal was that they would enter into His joy. That's what He wanted for them. See, I missed that for years. I always got hung up on the five making five and the two making two. I missed the real impact of what the Lord wanted. The Lord could have had the five and made 10 out of the five if He'd wanted. He could have had the two and made 20 out of the two if He wanted it. What He wanted them to do was to enter into His joy. To experience life like he experiences it. All right? Now, watch this. This is what is really beautiful. Notice what he said. He said, you have been faithful over little. You have been faithful over a few things. Do you know in the original Greek text it doesn't say few things? It says you have been faithful in the small. Now, the moment you see that, you've got to tie back You've got to jump back to Zechariah 4. You've got to jump back because it's small beginnings. Revelation 1 comes into place here, right? So we see then that Jesus is in this small beginning, right? And what I'm supposed to do is be faithful in the small. Okay, write it down. I'm almost done. I promise you. Here's the deal. You know what one of the easiest things in life to do? One of the easiest things in life, one of the easiest things in life, listen, is to rule little and be faithful over much. What's one of the easiest things in life to do? That's easy. Do you know why? Amen. Because much creates the energy to make you want to be faithful over it. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Do, you, do any of you in this room think, i got to psych myself up to go to church on the weekend? Yeah. <laughs> I don't got to psych myself to go up to church on the weekend. i got thousands of people coming to listen to me. That's all I've ever wanted. That's why I spent... Weeks in principal's offices when I was in school because all I ever wanted was teachers and everyone in the room to sit down and listen to me. That's all I ever wanted. And now I have it. I have thousands of people that come to listen to me. It is easy for me to be faithful over much. It's easy to be faithful over much. What's hard is to be faithful over little that's why so few people do it because it's hard it's hard to sit in that sheepfold and throw a rock and throw another rock and throw another rock and throw another rock and throw another rock. you know I, 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 I thought about this you know I remember reading once about magic Johnson and and when Magic Johnson was eight years old, you ever heard of Magic Johnson right when he was eight years old, living in in Michigan. In the wintertime, his dad would have to go and haul him off of the basketball courts because he was shooting so many baskets in the freezing weather that his fingertips split and the ball was covered in blood. And he would take him in the house and Magic would go in and go out the back door and come back. And he would sit out there and shoot basketballs and shoot. Now, you watching when he played for the Lakers, showtime, maybe one of the greatest, probably one of the greatest players that's ever played the game, right? And you look at all that, but nobody... Nobody knew about him being faithful on a public Amen. basketball court in below freezing weather. So good. See, it's easy to be faithful when you're the point guard of the world champion Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. It's easy to be faithful over abundant living or over, or over Dr. Choster. Oh, that's easy. See, it's easy to do that. What are you doing in the small? See, and I think this is when people miss their alphas that were designed to take them to their omegas. I wonder how many people have had alphas, these Jesus alphas that start real small, that are presented to them on their jobs. Hey, I know this isn't your job, but could you do this? No. No. Okay. Hmm? Oh, well, it's not my job. I'm not paid for that. I know. But what if that was that moment that God had created for you to be faithful over something little that is going to make you a ruler? See, that word ruler there means Jesus said, I will make you somebody. I will make you Somebody. Now, I can either make me somebody or let him make me somebody. I'd rather let him make me somebody because I'd rather have him on the side. Okay, now watch this. Is this making sense to you, right? So you become faithful in the small. The word make means cause to stand. I will cause you to stand for a long time in my enjoyment. So look at this. Faithful over little equals long time enjoyment. Faithful in the small equals long-time enjoyment. Did you catch that? That's yeah. All right? Now I'm going to tell you a quick story, all right? Uh, last Christmas, my incredible kids bought me tickets to go see the Eagles Rock and Roll Band on their last tour. It's the third time I've seen them, right? If anybody's got tickets, we'll go tonight. If you've got tickets, I'll go tonight. <laughs> Amen. But I love the Eagles, and they bought me Eagles, uh, Eagles tickets. Not the Philadelphia Eagles, the Eagles, the real Eagles, all right? And so they took me, and, and they bought me tickets to go see them at the fabulous forum in Los Angeles when they reopened the forum. So me, my son, my son-in-law, and a friend of ours in the church, we flew out to L.A., and, uh, and before the concert, we're going to do what all Texas alpha males do. Before we go hear the Eagles, we're going to go eat big steaks, So we went to this steakhouse in downtown L.A. They have this thing called L.A. Live. And so we were crossing the street to go to the steakhouse. And we were standing on the corner. And there was about 15 other men standing on the corner with us. And I'm a very observant guy. People that know me know that I watch and I look and I observe and I pay attention. So if I'm ever around you and you don't want me to use you in an illustration, don't misbehave. All right? (laughs) And so I was, was, because I'm watching and I also have incredible hearing. I mean, it's like, like. Scary good. So be careful what you say. Amen. So anyway, I was standing there, and I was looking around, and these guys are on their phones, and they're laughing, they're talking. Well, behind us was a parking garage. And out of that parking garage came a brand new black-on-black-on-black Aston Martin, right? And, oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) I'm telling you, I just feel better waking up in the morning knowing cars like that are in the earth. It just <laughs> makes me feel better. I don't have one, but oh my Lord. So anyway, the guy comes by us, right? And, I, and all of us are like, I mean, he's down this high off the ground, right? Comes by us like this and the guy sees us and I look around and one guy standing next to me went, uh, baby, I got to call you back. <laughs> Literally got off the phone, man. The brother's knees are getting weak, okay? And I mean, it's like all of us are just like, oh, my Lord, right? And, and the guy sees us, and he slows down. Oh, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have put that baby in park, opened the doors, and said, come on in and take pictures, boys. Come on in, because it's going home with me. Now, are you kidding me? Listen. Are you kidding me? Do you think if somebody gave me an Aston Martin, I would not be faithful over that? I don't even have an intern, but I would get me an intern just to take care of the Aston Martin. It wouldn't get its oil changed every 3,000 miles. It'd get its oils changed every day. We are taking care of the Aston Martin. Why? My point. Much Creates the energy to be faithful over it. That's easy. What's hard is to be faithful over little. Yeah. Amen. Okay. In your life, there are times when it is clear or possibly clear that something magnificent is starting in your life. You can see it. You can see the potential. This could lead to something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It might, this might lead to something. So that's easy. I remember the first time I went to Hillsong, right, and Brian Houston asked me, I wasn't scheduled to speak, but he asked me to speak in his session the next morning with 1,800 pastors from all over the world. They were coming to hear Brian and they got me. When I was standing there, I'm thinking, this could lead to something. So, was it hard for me to study that night? No, it was easy for me. Easy for me to get ready. Easy for me to be on time. Easy for me to have all my notes. Easy for me to have all my thoughts together. That was easy for me. But what are you going to do when you're not at Hillsong? What are you going to do when the only invitation you get is to go preach in a little town called Hobbs, New Mexico? It's not the end of the world, but you can see it just outside of town. (laughs) Amen. All right? Wow. 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 Have any of you been there? You know what I'm talking about. Amen? Wow. And it's nice now. When I'm telling the story, it wasn't, oh, no. And I got in. These people called me and said, can you come down and preach? And I said, well, yeah, I can. And they said, you know, we'd love to have you. I said, do you have a building? Yeah, we got a building. I said, great. So I drove down. It's four and a four-and-a-half-hour drive through through a part of America that makes the drive from here to El Paso look like scenic. (laughs) Southeastern New Mexico? (laughs) That's grim stuff out there, man. So, wow. That's why we gave it to New Mexico. Anyway, so um, I drove there four and a half hours. I checked into the motel, not the hotel, Motel, Mom and pop place, right? And when I check in, it's one of those places you pull up and park right outside your door. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, we're not talking about the Marriott here, right? We're talking about the motel, mom and pop's motel. And when I checked in, they gave me a fly swatter. And I was like, that's odd. Why would they give you a fly swatter? Well, I knew when I walked in the room. Because there had to have been a minimum of 150 flies in my room, right? I'm here for three days, okay? 100, and I'm thinking, why all the flies? Well, when I walked to the back and there was a little window, I pulled back the threadbare curtains and directly behind me was a feed lot with 3,000 head of cattle in it. And so you know what come with cattle, right? Flies and the smell of money and i'm thinking what am i doing here when god called me to preach this is not what i imagined i imagined me and copeland in the jet flying around the world what am i doing in hobs with a flyswatter but i studied i prayed i prepared i got ready I got ready. I didn't get ready any more to do Sunday at my church today than I did to go speak at that thing. So then I drove to the building. Oh, you got to hear the rest of the story. It gets better. So then I drove to the building they got for me, and I get to the building, and the building is a poodle parlor. (laughs) Do you know what a poodle parlor is? That's where people take their little poodles and they get them cut and washed and fluffed and their little toenails painted and the little ribbons put behind their cute little ears and and and, and, and some of you, listen, yeah, it may be okay with you, but that's kind of hard for a Texas alpha male to be preaching in a poodle parlor. I'm okay if it's a Rottweiler parlor or a German Shepherd parlor or a Doberman Beecher parlor or even a Labrador Retriever parlor, but not a poodle parlor. And while I'm preaching, you can smell the little cheap perfume and the little dogs that are that are being kept overnight are going, yip, 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 yip. And all I can think, listen, if you've got a poodle, good for you. But all I can say is for the same money, you could have got a real dog. <laughs> But I treated it, honestly, God knows. I treated it as if I was speaking at Hillsong. I, there wasn't even a Hillsong back then. But I treated it with the same respect that I'll treat tomorrow morning when I speak at Christ for the Nations. I treated it with the same respect. Little did I know that sitting out in that crowd of 12 people was a son and his wife of a car dealership who lived in El Paso. And Little did I but about six months later, they would call me, and they would say, we watched you in Hobbs. We'd never seen anybody so faithful over what they did, and we're introducing you to our parents that live in El Paso, and they took me to introduce me, and that family, for the next five years, gave Rochelle and I a brand new car every 3,000 miles, gave us $10,000 a month for five years into our church. which revolutionized our church. Gave it, let me use their private plane. I could use it when their sons couldn't. I got to put my schedule done over the sons. And all of that was given to me because I was... Fit. See, you never know. You never know. You don't know. So you got to take care of those small beginnings. On your job, in your relationship with your wife, your husband, your kids... You've got to take care of those small, tender moments when you just don't know what God is going to do with it. And I've got to stop. I hope you learned something tonight. Would you stand your feet with me, please? I didn't have time to get to this. I'm going to just throw it on you. In Luke, the 16th chapter, Jesus said, No man will commit to you that which is your own, listen, till you've been faithful in that which is another man's. I want my own company. Do you? How are you working? How are you working for the guy you're working for? Hmm? I want my own house. Really? How are you taking care of the apartment you're living in? Something to think about. Churches are commissioned to be faithful in that which is another man's. This church is here to be faithful over your community, to be faithful over the people that you're here, to be faithful over their lives. Could I get some good amen? See, to be faithful in their life. And when you are faithful in their life, then God will give you that which is your own. Lift your hands towards heaven. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this time. I went a long time tonight. Lord, more than I planned. I pray that you'll make this valuable and important and good for the lives of your people. Lord, help us all. Me. Everyone here, help us to be sensitive to your small beginnings, to see them, to take care of them, not to just rush by them. Those small, tender moments in our house, at school, on our jobs, in our community, with our friends, those moments when we're walking through life, and we sense your presence. Help us to be faithful in those small, tender moments, those small beginnings, Lord, that could be a Jesus Alpha, that has in it a Jesus Omega. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We would like to invite you to one of our service times in either McKinney or Dallas. Sunday mornings in McKinney at 9.30 and 11 and Wednesday evenings at 7 and in Dallas, 10.30 Sunday mornings and our 1 o'clock One Cause Dallas Espanol service. You can find out more information about our church at onecausechurch.com. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, there is also a link on the front page of our website.